Welcome to episode 36 of the first 40 miles. If you're new to backpacking, or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load, and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Heather Legler. And I'm Josh Legler. And this is The First 40 Miles. Today on The First 40 Miles, the top five backpacking tips from some hardy Americans who lived in the days before ibuprofen, freeze-dried food, or even the zipper. On the Summit Gear Review, you'll learn the ins and outs of the minimalist hiker's dream stove. Then the Backpack Hack of the Week will send your arteries running with a to-die-for cheddar bacon bannock. And we'll wrap up the show with some you-might-be-a-backpacker jokes and a piece of trail wisdom. All this and that's about it. Today on the first 40 miles. July 24th is Pioneer Day. It's maybe one of the lesser-known holidays. Unless you live in Utah, where we lived for a few years. And in Utah, it's a state holiday recognized in every town and city in the state with parades and fireworks and all kinds of stuff. And this summer, our daughter is participating in a pioneer trek. This means that she gets to have some of the same experiences the pioneers did. She gets to dress up in pioneer clothing, carry a hand cart, walk for miles and miles through area that isn't particularly visually stunning and kind of have that unplugged pioneer experience. Well, that's exactly what the pioneers hiked through for many, many miles. Just sagebrush, fields of grass. I mean, they finally got to the mountains and I'm sure that that was not necessarily a welcome relief because it meant snowstorms and hard climbs and all of those, you know, the tough things about the mountains. So it, Boy, it's hard to really even imagine, you know, walking that many miles with all of whatever earthly belongings you could, you felt like you could bring with you over that distance and, and through the heat of summer and the cold of winter. It's amazing. Well, this will really give our daughter a chance to appreciate her pioneer ancestors, get that clarity that comes from taking a long walk. I'm sure she'll form some really great friendships on the trail and she'll have the chance to accomplish something big. I remember on my pioneer trek, the food was really simple. Like when we first came into camp, we had some kind of brothy soup with rice floating in it. Like it was just really basic, maybe pretty authentic. Um, And I guess this trek that my daughter is going on, they put more thought and care into the food. So it's it's not so much a deprivation activity, more um, they want to challenge the youth in different ways, but make sure to feed them very well. Oh, well, so, she's lucky that way. Yes, then. it's going to be <laughs> because, a good... Because good the pioneers certainly, uh, yeah, they had it pretty rough when it came to food. It was whatever they could gather or whatever they had packed with them. And, and the most efficient things to pack were probably just buckets of flour and, and you know, grains with really nothing to go with it. They did have buffalo, smoked buffalo meat. I think I could live on that for a while. Yeah, yeah, me too. Well, today we gleaned our top five list from some things that the pioneers may have learned as they traveled along their trail west. So the top five tips from the pioneers of the American West. You know, today backpackers have it so much better than the pioneers did. We have much better technology for all of our gear. 
think of the foods that we can bring. They're so like we have the opportunity to bring food that is both nutritious and lightweight and takes about two minutes to cook. You know, that's just amazing. And yet there are so many things that we can learn from the pioneers and from their experience. Well, the number one tip from the pioneers of the American West is pack light. They had to be so judicious in their packing. They had to leave behind things that were so important to them, like heirloom furniture. Uh, sometimes they left their piano halfway through the trip because it just wasn't... Uh, wasn't going to make it. Wasn't going to make it. Or a rocking chair. Some of these special things that they thought they wanted ended up not being as high of a priority after traveling for a while. Yeah, and how often does that happen on backpacking trips? You bring stuff that you think you need, and partway through the trip, or maybe by the end of the trip, you think, you know, I didn't need half of that stuff. So take a lesson from the pioneers and pack light. The number two tip from the pioneers of the American West is have the mantra, all is well. They had a hymn where they would sing, all is well, all is well. And I think that just shows that attitude really is everything. If you can think positively, even in the most frustrating or dangerous or dire circumstances, that really helps a lot. They had to keep that mantra going even in the face of real problems, even death. You know, seeing other pioneers along the trail who didn't make it. And the mantra was so much deeper than, hey, we're going to make it. It was, even if we die, all is well. The number three tip from the pioneers of the American West is circle the wagons. Now at nighttime, they would circle their wagons and then build a fire right in the middle to protect everyone in the company or in their little traveling group. And that was their way of caring for each other. And it was their way of coming together in the evening. Backpackers are so good at this. It's not uncommon to be sitting around in the evening while you're having dinner and to kind of pass some meals around. And as you get totally bored of that meal that you're eating, yeah, you just swap with someone and, and you get something different from what you were eating. Just lots of things like that that happen. Backpackers are so good at this. When we did our uh, trip around Mount Hood, when we got to the one day where a rainstorm came through, Again, we saw backpackers in action as one of them whipped out a Tyvek tarp <laughs> that became your rain gear that day. That's right. I, I think, well, it was a Tyvek tarp plus a trash bag. And, and that served as your rain gear for the next couple hours while we walked through that or, or backpacked through that rainstorm. Just such generosity and, and that, that attitude of helping each other. Yeah, that's such a huge part of the backpacking culture. The number four tip from the pioneers of the American West is remember that cotton kills, except sometimes it's the right choice. Hmm. So depending on when you head out to the West or head out on your trip, there is a place for cotton if you're going to be heading out in really hot temperatures where you'll want something that's really, um, what's the word for cotton? Well, it's absorbent for sure. Yeah, it can help you to uh, cool down. Yeah, it's going to hold on to the moisture a lot longer and as it slowly evaporates rather than just losing all the, the water right away. And then if you happen to be in one of those companies that leaves late and you end up hitting snowstorms, cotton is not the way to go. 
So what did the pioneers wear? Obviously, it wasn't nylon. It wasn't spandex. No polyesters at all. No, they did have access to wool. So if they wanted to keep warm, then wool was one of the ways that they kept warm. Silk was one of the materials, I mean, not on the trail, but after they got into the Salt Lake Valley, they started producing silk. And silk is a great thing to have if you're going to be out on the trail. But um, cotton is just one of those. You have to use it for the right reason. You can't. It's not just an all-purpose fabric. And the number five tip from the pioneers of the American West is timing is everything. There's a story of a couple of uh, pioneer groups that left too late in the season one year. And I can't remember exactly when it was, but wasn't it well into summer? Anyway, they were several months late getting started. And eh, that's fine as you walk across the plains. Yeah, it's hot. Uh, The problem was that they didn't get to the mountains soon enough. And to make matters worse, that year there was an early storm that came through. So winter came early, and they're stuck in the Rocky Mountains. And that was a really bad situation to be in. And what's tough about it is, you know, part of it was leaving late, but the other part was Mother Nature, uh, that the storms came early. And when you go backpacking, you're always going to have those two parts that work together. You know what time of year it is, and so you know what the weather's going to be like generally. But you never know specifically what sort of weather might blow through while you're out on that trip. And so timing can make the difference between a, a, you know, a successful trip or a, maybe a pleasant trip versus a trip where you really struggle to keep things together. Yeah, and the difference between pioneers and backpackers is we can always hike six to eight miles or even 30 to 40 miles and end up at a road where someone can help us. Pioneers were out there on their own. They just had to do with what they had. They couldn't just go to the town 30 miles back because there wasn't a town 30 miles back. They had to keep going forward. And at least we have the option to turn around to kind of cut the trip short and head home if we need to. Well, we wanted to honor one of the American pioneers by reading a few journal entries. It's so fascinating to read some of the things that they went through because although they lived a couple hundred years ago, there are a lot of similarities between what they experienced and what we as backpackers experience. And this is from the journal of Amos M. Musser from 1957, and he was from the William G. Young Company. He said, Last night and the preceding one were very stormy nights for our tented saints. Most of them obtained no sleep and received as a token of remembrance a good and thorough soaking. (laughs) Today we camped on the Platte. We observed at a distance two buffalo, the first seen by us. Wolves, antelope, elk, and deer all becoming numerous. There are innumerable hosts of winged ants following and bothering us today. They are truly annoying. The mescatries, or mosquitoes, are also very numerous and annoying. We have had to work hard to keep the buffalo at bay. Several appeared determined to rush through our train, but were timely prevented by the position of several small bits of lead as they were ejected from many guns pretty well aimed. (laughs) You can definitely see the attitude, the all is well attitude coming through in his writing. Definitely. I thought it was kind of funny. They had a a different name for mosquitoes, the mescatries, 
Never heard of that before. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, this is the last little section here, and he goes into a little more detail about those skeeties or muscatries. Last night will be long remembered by some of us at least. I never was more troubled with skeeties. The skeeties would not let me sleep, and after making a number of violent assaults, drove me from my castle into the open air. I sat down on the inside of my wagon tongue, little dreaming the rogues would have the audacity to hunt me in the open air. But lo and behold, they soon found me out and made repeated assaults, which made me feel all over in spots. I almost swore vengeance against the entire race and only regretted I could not get them all in a bag where I could pay them off for their meanness. In the meantime, Pastor S. found egress from the wagon, and after considerable grumbling about the pests, we corralled together in the open air a little distance from the wagon. But we found no peace. Blankets, counterpanes, etc. were no barriers unless you enveloped yourself in them. If the nasal hair obtruded itself to get an occasional sniff of the salubrious breeze, why a number would gather around and commence perforating that member with all the sang-froid of a Frenchman discussing the virtues or merits of a dish of crapoo. Wow. <laughs> that was very colorful, very interesting. <laughs> and today we can just put on some mosquito repellent. Aren't we lucky? Yeah, we don't have to cover ourselves with blankets or counterpanes. It's amazing what they endured on that move west. Well, happy Pioneer Day, and we will have a special Pioneer recipe later in the show for our Backpack Hack of the Week. For today's Summit Gear Review, we have the Chi Whiz dual fuel stove, and it's made by the same guy who brought us the Big Dig Titanium Trowel that we reviewed in one of our recent episodes. So this stove comes with a titanium pot that has a three cup capacity. It's Tokes brand. It comes with a windscreen that actually fits inside of the pot and then when you use it you pull it out and you can slide the ends together to make it stay in place. It has a little dual fuel burner which you can use denatured alcohol with or if you prefer tablets then you just unscrew the lid and you can use the lid as the tablet burner. It also comes with a mesh stand and all of this fits in a bright orange kind of padded mesh bag that fits everything perfectly. This really is a super simple design. I mean, you've, you've got the little canister that's going to either hold your alcohol or your tablet, and that's burning. You've got a cylindrical wire mesh pot stand that's going to hold your pot about an inch and a half above the flame, and then the windscreen to go around the outside of everything. That's really all there is to it. So the place where you actually burn the fuel is kind of like an oversized lip balm tin, and there's some kind of black felt inside of the tin. So if you're going to use it to burn alcohol, you would pour the alcohol in the base of the tin, whereas if you were to burn like an Esbit tablet or some other kind of solid fuel tablet, you would use the lid of that tin. And the dual fuel burner is about two inches wide, and it holds about three-fourths of an ounce of fuel, and that provides enough energy to boil water. So you shouldn't need to add more than three-fourths of an ounce of fuel. Typically, water will boil with 0.5 to 0.7 ounces, depending on those outside conditions. It weighs 5.9 ounces, or 165 grams, 
and the titanium pot that it comes with has handles. So really, it's a mug that's dressed up like a pot because it has a lid. So you can use it as a pot and a mug. So you don't need to bring another bowl or mug. This really works as both. There's really no special maintenance on this stove, and there's almost no way that you can mess up while you're using this stove. There's no adjustable parts or anything, you know, that nothing you're going to need a screwdriver or a wrench for or anything like that. It's just very simple. The only thing I noticed is that the lid of the dual fuel stove ended up getting a little bit wet and rusted on top after I had used one of the tablets that I had to burn. So I don't know if the tablet caused the rusting or if it was just the way that I packed it up after I used it, but it doesn't affect the performance, but it may be something that you'll you want to consider. As far as stoves go, this is a great deal for what you get. It's about $50 and shipping is included. The Chi Wiz dual fuel stove really is the minimalist dream stove. There is no frilly lace or pretty danglies. It is just the perfect simple stove. And on top of that, it's really quiet. So if that's important to you, then this is a stove you'll definitely want to explore. And on top of that, it is ultra light. With everything included, it's 5.9 ounces. Bringing this stove on your next trip may earn you some serious respect on the trail because it is so minimalist and it was created by a guy who's done enough hiking to earn himself a real trail name. So check it out in the show notes. We will have a link to the ChiWiz website where you can check out other options that he has for the stove. We just covered one of the options and he has a different size burner. He also has a different pot stand and a different pot. So lots of different options that you can do to kind of tweak the setup so it's exactly what you want. So if you want to go minimalist and light, then the ChiWiz dual fuel stove is a great way to go. Well, we promised you a pioneer recipe for the Backpack Hack of the Week. Today, we're going to share how to make cheddar bacon bannock. Now, if we were sharing an authentic pioneer recipe, it would be hard tack. And our son, who just finished his Oregon Trail unit in class, uh, he learned how to make hard tack, and he made it for the family a few weeks ago. I'm not sure where it all ended up. Did you? I threw it away. Oh, don't tell him. Oh. Anyway, it was really tough stuff. I mean, break your teeth kind of hard. It's just flour with a little tiny bit of water, just enough to make it into a paste so you can cook it. It's pretty awful stuff. From what I understand, they actually made it so they could reconstitute it later, like soak it in hot water and then eat it like a porridge. Oh, okay. Turn it into a soup base or whatever. Yeah, that's a good idea. Because, you know, I would rather just eat raw wheat than to eat that hardtack. Well, we have a way better option. And it's definitely not authentic, but it's somewhat reminiscent of what they may have had on the trail. You'll feel more like a pioneer while you eat this than if you ate Pop-Tarts. True. So, cheddar bacon bannock, you will need one cup of white flour. You can also use whole wheat flour. One and a half teaspoons of baking powder two tablespoons of Neato whole milk powder, one-fourth cup of coconut oil, and then you want to blend those in the blender till it's nice and powdery. 
And then to the blender, you will add two tablespoons of pre-cooked bacon bits, which you can just find on the salad aisle, the salad dressing aisle, actually. And use the real stuff, not the fake bacon. Yeah, not the plastic bacon. And then you'll also add a fourth cup of shredded sharp cheddar cheese and some coarsely ground black pepper. And please be generous with the black pepper. It's what makes this recipe. It's so delicious. And then you'll want to pulse that a few more times and then store that kind of powdery, lumpy stuff in a zip-top sandwich-sized bag. And when you're ready to make the bannock, all you need to do is add about three ounces or a third cup of water to the bag and mix it with a spoon or by kind of squeezing the plastic bag and then divide it into two to four pieces so it's easier to flip and cook for five minutes on one side, then flip and cook for five minutes on the other side. And you'll want to use medium heat. Now, a few episodes ago, we had another bannock recipe. So why two bannock recipes? Because bannock is amazing and it is infinitely adaptable. It's such a high calorie, satisfying meal on the trail. And also after a while of having freeze dried meals, you kind of just want some bread and bread is so amazing on the trail. The other recipe for bannock that we shared was probably best suited for sweet applications, like if you wanted to serve it with jam and honey, whereas this, you probably could just eat it straight from the pan to your mouth. This one's more savory, especially with the black pepper, but that, like you said, really makes it. It's wonderful. Oh, and feel free to double the amount of bacon or double the amount of cheddar, double the pepper, like it's all so good. Well, this recipe as it stands is 1,179 calories for the entire pan of bannock. Wow, that's packing it in. Yeah, you might want to share it with a, with a neighbor, a tent mate, someone on the trail. A good idea. While you're circling your wagons, yes. pass the bannock around. <laughs> well, as promised, we have You Might Be a Backpacker Jokes. If you're better at folding maps than you are at folding your own laundry, you might be a backpacker. If you have a bumper sticker that says, guns don't kill, cotton kills, you might be a backpacker. And if you've uttered the words, I bet this tortilla chip with salsa weighs four grams. Hey honey, grab a scale. I'm gonna show the guys. Four grams, boom. You might be a backpacker. They just get worse every time. And as a reminder, August 25th, 2015 is the birthday of the National Park Service, which means the entrance fee is waived to all national parks. However, other fees like reservation and camping fees will still apply. Bring your own birthday cake. And we'll leave you with a little trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail, the author of Peter Pan, J.M. Barry. He said, make your feet your friend. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, follow us on Facebook and Twitter or review us on iTunes. We'll see you next time on the first 40 miles.
when sorry <laughs> we all sniff <laughs> is that a harsh one cotton kills <laughs> oh people say it all the time in backpacking yeah they so do that's fine. cotton is rotten but <laughs> You may even find some gift ideas for upcoming holidays. Oh, for Pioneer Day. Yeah, oh, there you go. <laughs> of course. We need another holiday with gifts, right? <laughs> sure. Yeah, that's not really one of them, but we, I guess we could make it one. Yes, let's do that. And you have to buy outdoor-related gifts for Pioneer Day. Doesn't that just make sense? Oh, yeah, yeah. Rattlesnake tails, buffalo chips. <laughs> we just get attacked by our tent of sound. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs>